Rain, he tells me, carries rumours of the dead, of those with suitcases and epidemics. Rain carries the memory of droughts, of houses gone, rain like lovers comes and goes, like soldiers go and sometimes return to a life no longer standing. and I'm learning Hebrew to be able to read Israeli literature. Shalom, ani hana, ani mi anglia, ve ani lo meret ivrit le kroa seferim israelim. Okay, and action. Shalom, Hannah. Shalom, Matan. Shalom, Hannah. Oh, Hannah, do you like when I Hebrewize your name? <laughs> I no, think it's appropriate don't... in this context. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to Hebrewize your name. Okay. <laughs> so, Hannah, you are my Hebrew student from the SOAS Language Center, already three courses. And I realized that you are an academic focused on Palestinian and Israeli literature, but also Canadian literature, and then also ecological activism. Is that correct? Yeah, so I'm a researcher and lecturer at University College Dublin as of a couple of weeks ago, Okay, um, living in London. <laughs> um, thank you. So I work on anything to do with water, uh, water and resource politics more generally. Mm -hmm. So I did my PhD about water in Israeli and Palestinian literature, and mm -hmm. I've just turned that into a book after a very long oh, wow. process. So, so, not just, so not just water and geography and ecology, but rather water in the literature, because these are like more, yeah, more so... two different worlds, or aren't they? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, so there's a, I suppose I don't work in the, the physical geography. My work is, it's more cultural geography, human, the, the sort of human geography side of things. So what do people think about the environments that they live in and interact with? Mm -hmm. um, and how do they write about that in literature? And specifically, you chose to focus on Israel and Palestine, so add a conflict dimension to that. Why specifically there? Is it does it anything have to do with you being a British and the historical connection to my region, or what was it? I mean, I don't have any particular historical personal link to Israel to Palestine. I mean, you do. Um, You're a British, family's... and remember the Balfour Declaration. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, yes, in that sense, I definitely do. Um, <laughs> part of what I'm interested in is thinking about the British influence in the world and the legacies of British colonialism. Mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, I do, I do have that, yeah. that link. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. Any feelings so, of responsibility, yeah. tikkun, repair, or not that much? I mean... Less about sort of trying to personally make up some kind of flaw in my nation's past that I bear on my shoulders, but but certainly about trying to 
I think it's really important to teach Israeli and Palestinian literature mm-hmm. um, and to try and encourage British students to, to know about that history and Britain's um, responsibility for a lot of the problems in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so I, do, I don't even give it as a kind of quest or or anything, but mm-hmm. but I, I do think that that teaching is a really important thing for me to be doing. Mm-hmm. That's, that sounds amazing. I want to learn so much about Israeli and Palestinian literature, and I want you to tell to take a step back and tell us whoever listens to this podcast, who is Hena like and what made you do the things you do today? Okay, so I suppose I was born in Burton on Trent, which is kind of nowheresville. Uh, England mm-hmm. um, it's sort of on the edge of the Peak District um, in the countryside it doesn't have as many dramatic mountain districts mm-hmm. but um, but it is very beautiful okay that's nice so you come from a very nature kind of place yeah and mm-hmm. I think that probably does come into my interest my like academic research interest in nature mm-hmm. um, the ways that people might think planting trees, The environment is just an intrinsically good thing that doesn't have any politics to it mm-hmm. um, but obviously when you start thinking about that in an Israeli context you might think about the use of trees to to kind of create a European appearance so the planting of pine forests um, or, or the planting of trees to, to claim land as Israeli in the Negev desert mm-hmm. and not to say to hide a history oh, well they don't want to have present. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I suppose Elan Pape's writing about um, the, the planting of pines over ruins of Palestinian villages, so that there's also that direct way of a cons- something that can be that, that, it, that is a concern for nature and for the environment, but that also has these, these other meanings and these other political roles. Mm-hmm. Was there any concept that uh, you had in your mind about the your country or about the British Empire and how did it change what opened your eyes so I suppose the way that 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 made me think about English culture and um, the, the English landscape mm-hmm. um, the, the kinds of you know like I mentioned country houses the places I might have visited in my childhood where there might have been objects that are described as here's a vase that the owner of this house got when he was working for the East India Company but the, there's no contextualization of of what that means about Britain's involvement in India or involvement in everywhere else for the Britain colonized mm-hmm. um, so I think it did, it did make me think differently about the kinds of we've been told about my country's role in the world mm-hmm. Britain not just as a force for good yeah okay so go on I suppose I something quite important in world history and in terms of my own in this sort of little story of my own personal development that was happening when I was an undergraduate was Operation Cast Lead or the Gaza War mm-hmm. um, in 2008-2009 and I was reading a lot of political philosophy about the nature of the state about dissent about our obligations to the state as citizens or, or how we can disagree with what our states are doing And, and other political philosophy about, about about land ownership and you can kind of see how some of these things are coming together a, a lot of things that I was thinking about in the classroom were also being played out 
in the world and also on my campus. Um, so some of my friends occupied a building I didn't know that much about Israel and Palestine. I kind of talked to them. They occupied the building because of the, because of the Gaza war? To, to kind of raise awareness among students at the university, mm-hmm. um, to kind of draw attention to, and to what was help? going on. I mean, it seems a bit strange now I say it, but I mean, it didn't stop the war, did it? But like, yeah, it was, I mean, it. I think, I think those things are really important for students to do. Yeah. Um, for their own sort of political growth and knowledge and for, for other students. So, and kind of making us think about how this stuff isn't just happening over there. Britain is implicated in the contemporary Because of its of history or because of some armory trade or what exactly? Well, yeah. Both. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting to think, you say it's important It's important for students to be involved, but, you know, I add to that, not just students, people. And, and you know, I wonder when does it get to so many buildings being occupied to raise a consciousness <laughs> so that until the, the, the Israeli government loses this consciousness war as, as South Africa, as apartheid South Africa, lost it. Yeah. When does that happen? <laughs> well, that's a pretty big question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, in the UK at the moment, there, there has historically been a reasonable of sympathy for Palestinians and kind of space given to Palestinian mm-hmm. narratives um, and experiences, much more so than there have been in the US. Yeah. Um, but I think... I. With the, the current picture, I don't, I feel a bit pessimistic about any real progress in UK, in UK understanding of or engagement with Israeli and Palestinian politics, um, just, just because, and, and this is another horrendous <laughs> kind of can of worms, but just, just because of the nature of the discourse on this topic in the last few years and the way it kind of gets used as a, a political football. How is it used? Um, I suppose things like the Labour Party anti-Semitism controversy, mm-hmm. that that it becomes very difficult to. I, I'm not. I'm not saying, oh, it's impossible to talk about this because people, yeah. because it becomes a distraction. So but I'm not bringing it. But you have I'm, to. I'm be, using even, my words carefully. Even now, even now, you have to be so cautious so you don't say something that might sound like anti-semitic in any slightest way because of well the i think so... that people should be very careful that's true mm. people should be careful think, but yeah but I... but when people tell me uh when some uh, muslim uh who works in interfaith uh told me uh, calling israel an apartheid state is anti-semitic i cannot understand in what way is it anti-semitic i think I think one of the difficult things is that the way that I, I think it's really important for people to take anti-Semitism in the UK really seriously. And as we've seen in the last few years in the Labour Party, there, there are a lot, there are a lot of people who have quite confused and quite troubling views about yeah. about Jewish yeah. people and about Israel. So what what do you remember from studying which made you, oh, I'm so interested in this literature? I think you mentioned Raja Shahadeh and Oz Shelach. Yes, 
did. So Shahad his book, um, Palestinian Walks, is, I think it's seven, seven walks. It's, just, it's different chapters about different walks in the West Bank that he's taken over, mm-hmm. over I think maybe a period of about 20 years. Basically walks he's been doing over a, a long period of time and how they've been changed by the Confederation Wall and by the occupation. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a human rights lawyer, I think, I think based in Ramallah. It's just a really beautiful book of nature writing and about his connection with, with the environment and the histories um, and, and the kind of memories that the landscape holds for him, but how all of that is, is being changed and is being disrupted and, and how the environment is being harmed through the occupation. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd never really read anything quite like that before because you sort of think about nature writing as like, Okay, Wordsworth meandering around around the Lake District and looking at the daffodils and saying how pretty everything is, at least in the works that get discussed in the in the mainstream of English literature and in journalism, it, it's been quite a white dominated genre, even if that's not necessarily the case in the the wider works that are being published where where it is quite diverse. But the stuff that gets the most attention. It's basically white people, white men going on a walk in nature and marvelling at the birds, whereas this is something completely different. And the other book, um, Oz Shilach, um, was his book, I was just getting it down from the bookcase. Um, Picnic Grounds. Picnic Grounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you read it? I haven't read it and I, I, I haven't heard about him before you told me. And I'm Israeli. I'm sorry yeah, for I don't my ignorance. That. <laughs> I don't know what he's been doing since, or after, I've not actually read any of the books, but I mean, the title is Picnic Grounds, and there are often mentions of natural environments and things like the Jerusalem Forest. Um, okay. th- thinking about tra- traveling through pines and saying, we have to constantly remind ourselves this is not Switzerland. Um, and it's about the way, just in this story I've got at the moment, all along the road to Jerusalem, we planted over the past. And he, he's trying to think about the role of changing the natural environment, in producing um, an Israeli nation. Yeah, I'm but, not surprised that he's not so much mainstream <laughs> in Israel. Because, you know, people, yeah. people don't know about what's under those forests. I mean, the whole Nakba is really a big taboo. You know, there was like this Nakba, Nakba law that forbade schools even to mention them, etc. There's no, no way near to semi-reconciliation. And how can you reconciliate if you don't acknowledge the, the history or your part of what happened? Yeah, exactly. I mean, was this something that you, that you ever learned about in school how did you come to think about i never um, learned forests in jerusalem differently no i never knew about it you know like this myth yeah a a people without a country to a country without people and yeah it took me much i mean i remember yeah how the kakal how the jnf recruited money to (laughs) to plant all those uh, pine trees because it was all like shmama. Yeah, it was all like uh, nothing basically. And yeah, and, and when I got to know about some some things, I uh, later on in life, I just didn't want to know about it. 
because people don't want to know about the past and they don't want to know about the present when you know like the ongoing occupation it's just like that like why you said in the beginning that uh, you you research how water is manifested in israeli and uh and palestinian literature so how does it i mean i know the yeah, olive so... trees the olive trees is very like the <laughs> right the belonging this is ours and when that's why yeah. when settlers uh, destroy olive trees it's kind of saying uh, no no it's not you know that's exactly the kinds of things i'm trying to think about so or that i was trying to think about in the book the way that the symbols of the olive tree or maybe the, the soil or maps things that are to do with the land seem to come to mind much more easily when thinking about about palestine And I suppose when thinking about Israel as well, thinking about redeeming the land, uh, the land and the people, um, the kibbutz, farming, it, it all seems to center around the, the land. And, and while that seems kind of obvious, given that it's a contestation over ownership of the land, all of those things require water. Like you can't have a kibbutz without having some water and you can't grow olive trees, um, even if they can survive Um, conditions without much water they, they need some water but there are also ways that that water itself plays a more prominent role in national culture national imaginaries um, so as part of those narratives of um, redeeming the land you have draining the swamps um, so places like the Hula Valley the Jezreel Valley um, that that were drained um, to produce agricultural land Yeah. Uh, with varying degrees of success. So part of the Hula Valley was um, uh, part of the Hula Valley was uh, reflooded because mm -hmm. the drainage was a disaster. So all the things like the Jordan River, um, which plays a really important um, symbolic role as a kind of emblem of Israel and Palestine and as a um, as a source of fresh water and as a border, um, as a symbol of Palestinian exile. So crossing the Jordan into Jordan and out of Palestinians' homeland. So other things that I've, that I've written about, um, I suppose about the Mediterranean Sea and the beach and how those are implicated in creating a, a different kind of Israeli identity and a different kind of Jewish identity compared to um, how Jewishness was viewed by Zionists as um, in the diaspora. So kind of, so, so in some ways that's kind of bound up with the sort of kibbutz narratives of like creating a new Jew. So thinking about how that might also, how the sea might also play a role in that and the beach in kind of normalizing Israel's existence. Am I a new Jew or am I just like the <laughs> British don't... Jews who came, maybe some immigrated from the same countries? <laughs> I don't know. You might have to answer that one. I mean, you know some British Jews. I mean, I, I suppose guess. you speak Hebrew. Let's talk about Hebrew. Is Hebrew, is Hebrew a colonial language? I mean, I suppose... In some ways, all languages are well. All languages are colonial. I mean, you think about English. Like Britain imposed that on its colonies, and we we forced everyone to speak it, and that's why it's really easy for me to travel around the world because everyone speaks English. Right. Um, so all languages are bound up with the idea of the nation and, and nationalism. Um, I mean, I mean, those connections are particularly apparent in the case of Hebrew because it was revived. Um, in the late, the late 19th, early 20th century as part of creating the nation of Israel um, or the, the state of Israel. 
And what um, did you learn during Hebrew? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the textbook that we're using is quite intriguing in the ways that it presents learning Hebrew. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's been very much mention of Palestinians. So I don't know if they ever come up. Yeah, of um, I mean, and and of course, looking at the the maps. Yeah. But but also things like um, the the week that we did learning about the kibbutz. Uh, uh, this is where Israelis go to buy organic milk, and which is a very different story to. So kind of what you learn reading about the Kibbutz in Israeli history. Oh, um, all about about travelling as well, the, the uh, Teal week that we did about Israelis going on the gap year after the army, which... Um... Yeah. Well, how did you find that? I mean, it's something that happens. It's. I mean, I went for a year in South America myself, like many others. Yeah, I suppose some of it is about the way that the textbook presents a particular narrative of a kind of cosmopolitan worldly israel mm-hmm. and are we um, not which are we part of oh. the middle east or are <laughs> we part of the western world well i mean that's israel's tricky position um that that it that it kind of wants to be both and it sort of is both but um yeah, you know, here we got we got the first okay for being normalized as part of the region by the UAE just recently. How about that? Yeah, I'm interested in that. Um, I don't know. I don't want to be too pessimistic. I'm not convinced it will really. I mean, it's not going to create peace or justice for Palestinians, is it? <laughs> so, why did you learn Hebrew? Why did you decide to learn the language of the colonizer and not the colonized mm. if i may ask if we are the colonizers <laughs> i don't think i am i did i started learning arabic first when i was a phd student in part because that was just easier um but it but it also was a it was a political decision which was that i wanted to start with arabic and i have since talking to people about learning Hebrew, post-colonial literature people, I have encountered a bit of uh, suspicion um, about why I would learn Hebrew rather than Arabic. You're studying Hebrew. Yeah, which I've found like quite what? interesting. I just raised eyebrows kind of thing. <laughs> and and what, why would you not learn Arabic? Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people in post-colonial literature or in English departments just read in English anyway, so... Do you have any plans to be recruited to the Mossad? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, but that's, um, what, yeah. that's what these eyebrows say, probably, you know? I think it seems like they're a question of your allegiances, which is very strange given that I'm a literature scholar. So you would expect that you would want to read lang- read literatures in their original languages. I mean, no, that's that's not been the majority response. There have just been a few of those where I thought, this is an instructive moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to learn Hebrew so that I can read new, new books <laughs> in Hebrew, um, because it takes some time for books to come out in translation. Um, not everyone. Um, not every English speaker is as interested in reading Hebrew literature as me, believe it or not. 
Um, so, so I have to wait for the books to come out in English, which is not ideal. And some of the books that I want to read never come out in English at all. Um, yeah. So I thought I should just try to learn Hebrew so that I can read them in Hebrew. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So what message do you have for Israelis who might hear you speaking from <laughs> a British? It sounds like I'm being really kind of critical of Israel. Um, but another way to think about the way that I've dedicated many years of my life to reading Israeli and Palestinian literature is that I'm a big fan of Israeli literature. And mm -hmm. I think it's one of the most interesting world literatures and that I'm, I'm always delighted when a student wants to do their dissertation on it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think one of I think literature has a really important role um, within Israel and Palestine. So I've read that there's not very much Arabic literature translated into Hebrew. It's one thing that I think can be really helpful for understanding um, culture and politics, and of people who are often um, dehumanized in um, the national press, um, it is to read their literature. So I would say, read more Palestinian literature to Israelis. Yeah, yeah, maybe I should start myself. <laughs> but I can give you a list but of I have the feeling. Afterwards. I have the feeling, I just <laughs> have the feeling it would make me feel more guilty and I feel guilty anyway, so why should I? <laughs> but but it's also, it, it's beautiful writing uh, and it's kind of, it's brilliant work so there, there can be more to it than, than just kind of beating yourself up and, and feeling guilty it can be a different way to yeah, understand other so i'm going to give you a little snippet from a natalie handel poem who is a french american poet her little bio online says born to a palestinian family from bethlehem um arab american poet natalie handel's poem the lives of rain from her 2005 collection she writes Rain, he tells me, carries rumours of the dead, of those with suitcases and epidemics. Rain carries the memory of droughts, of houses gone, rain like lovers comes and goes, like soldiers go and sometimes return to a life no longer standing. Okay, Hannah, so what can I say? I can just tell you uh, Shabbat Shalom. I hope we expand <laughs> the Hebrew to the extent that you can read fluent tweets. <laughs> תודה רבה ושבת שלום. שבת שלום. Oh!